Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to have friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to educate and to teach, maybe entertain some, but to put this in perspective. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Nothing's business as usual anymore. We know that. We have had a collapse of epic proportions thanks to the coronavirus and the oil price war. Dow plunged another 2,353 points today. I do not even feel like pressing the buttons. Oh, Jesus. S&P plummeting 9.51%. NASDAQ nosediving 9.43%. These are hideous. I get it. These are scary times. We're afraid for our health and the health of our families. We don't want to lose our jobs. We don't want our nest eggs crushed. Later on, I'm going to give you a six-part plan that I believe could actually blunt the financial impact of the outbreak while allowing us to contain the virus, maybe save you some money. I know we can beat this thing, okay? I know we can. But beating it most likely at this point means causing a recession. We know this is coming. That's what's causing these stocks to go down. We should do everything we can to make it easier for the hardworking people of this country. But in the end, this is still mad money, not mad science or mad public fiscal policy. And that means what do we have to do? We actually have to be constructive. We have to be on the lookout for opportunities that are being created by this panic. Now that the averages have plummeted the levels last seen in 2018, when it looked like we were headed for a Fed-mandated recession. And just so you know, the Dow's pretty much at that level. The S&P still has further to fall just to get back to December 2018 in the PAL-generated bear market. So again, I'm not saying it's over. I said for the last few weeks we could hit that level. We're not there yet. So why bother to do this? Because I am not calling a bottom. I'm trying to do something that is necessary. I'm trying to tell you how to bargain hunt in a market this toxic. We fall back on what worked during the Great Recession, and it did work. Back then, we circled the wagons around what I called AYHs, accidentally high yielders. Companies with good dividends and sound balance sheets where the yields had gone to ridiculous levels because their stock prices perhaps should never have gone so low. I'm picking stocks where I believe that could be the case. How do we replicate it? Well, what I start with is a screen. I do a screen of companies. Add it here. I do a screen of companies. I'm looking for stocks that yield around 4% or more because the Treasury rates are so low, you don't get much. These are companies that I'm picking that have healthy businesses. I believe they'll hold up during the slowdown. I believe they'll hold up during a recession. Sure, we might not even, uh, we, no, we won't catch the bottom exactly, okay? Which is why what we do is we buy small and we get bigger as the yield grows. This hunt is one of my favorite exercises. Why? Because it's clinical, it's emotionless, ice water and veins, and it'll give you so many, uh, so many what you really want, what you crave. Income generating securities, which by the way, you're not getting much for treasuries at all. Income generating securities that will pay you to wait for the market to recover. 
All right, it's not exactly finding a bull market somewhere, but it does guarantee that if we solve corona, you are a winner. And while we do it, you are paid to wait to win. Those in cash won't win or gain anything when, not if, when that happens. And the first up is United Parcel, UPS. We all know the brown trucks. We know UPS has the best brand name and offers fabulous service. Obviously, the stock hasn't been doing well because it's a play on commerce and e-commerce, and that's slowing. But today we learned that Cal Tomei, the retired CFO of Home Depot, has been named the new CEO of United Parcel. This change brings on the savviest financial mind of our generation. Carol was integral to making Home Depot the undeniable powerhouse that it's become. She's also helped them fend off Amazon, something UPS needs now more than ever. Meanwhile, I know UPS can cover its dividend, which currently gives you an accidentally high 4.7% yield. By some t- uh, tomorrow, I would buy some tomorrow and-, and then wait for it to go lower and then buy a little more. Leave room for lower prices. And remember, that means higher yields. Given that Carol's been on the board, she can figure out ways to keep the payout at that level without sacrificing service or making the company less competitive. No matter what, Carol Tomei's fantastic. It's great seeing her run such a complex organization. She was born to do this. Congratulations, Carol Tomei, for this much-deserved, albeit unexpected, appointment. I know you'll do great. Second, I'm going with Abvi. These drug companies simply aren't getting the respect they deserve. We have to pay them no matter what. Avi in particular has good growth, a healthy balance sheet, and a shrewd CEO. Richard Gonzalez has done a very good job putting together this merger. The merger is with Allergan. They're just waiting for the government sign-off. And then Gonzalez will get busy running Allergan's portfolio, including Botox, through his much, much bigger worldwide sales force. As the spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I know for a fact that Allergan's new acute migraine pill is a lifesaver and will be a blockbuster. It's called, because I take it, you Ubrelvi. Ubrelvi. Where do they come up with these names? It's worse than Mondelez. But it can stop migraine in its tracks. Think of migraine like a charging elephant that runs at you, then stomps on your head all day. This pill doesn't prevent the elephant from charging, but it does get it off your head. Best of all, Abby's got a 6% yield. What a terrific get. Hey, you know what? Even better, it goes to 7 8%. Just be ready. Those who you who are going to criticize me and say, how could you suggest buy? Later on the show, I'll tell you about some interesting times to buy that surprise you. And I've got to tell you, once again, I'm not calling a bottom. I think the S&P has to take out the 2018 level. But I'm trying to find things that will last more than 48 hours. And here's a good one for you, Verizon. Verizon's finally come down to a level where I feel you have to buy it. I mean, I liked it yesterday. said you should buy it here. I love it after the beatdown. Verizon's the premier wireless provider with a fabulous balance sheet that will let them build out a massive 5G network ahead of the competition. The lack of price sensitivity to your cell phone bill is extraordinary. You can't live without the darn thing, and that's why I'm salivating for that in the 4.8% yield. I know what you're thinking. Well, then how about ATT with a 6.6% yield? I like ATT, but the dividend is not as rock solid, and the story is more complicated. I think Verizon snaps right back once this virus runs its course. Fourth, how about a bank? All right, I got one for you. Hold your nose. Get this. This is going to shock you. All right. I need you to think about buying Wells Fargo. Yeah, it has a new CEO who is smart. He's honest. He's clever. And by the way, he's funny. Um, I, I think the stock's worth buying here. The fellow's name is Charlie Scharf. He's the new CEO. Uh, he's kind of a regular Raymond Shaw. He used to run Visa, where he transformed the credit card company into a technological powerhouse. Now, I used to think Charlie, myself, was too intimidating to be the boss because of his no-nonsense bearing. Frankly, he always scared me. 
But you know what? That's exactly what the broken Wells Fargo needs. Why risk it? Because despite all the bank's misdeeds, the customers still love the darn thing. While it will take time to clean things up, it's encouraging that the previous chairwoman, Elizabeth Duke, a lightning rod for the regulators, finally quit this week, allowing Charlie to install his own team both on the board and in the organization. Why buy it now when the banks are so hated? Because after the stock's hideous decline today, Wells paying you to wait with a 7.5% yield. Buy some. Maybe it goes to 8%. Buy some. Sharf's Sharf's the real deal. He's not a bad guy. He's a nice guy. Fifth, we need a utility. I like Dominion Energy, letter D. It's a low-cost power producer that also owns a liquefied natural gas export terminal in an era where many people believe that natural gas industry is a goner, and that's why it's going down more than other utilities. Dominion's uh, told us over and over again that they have ironclad contracts. I actually believe them. I believe Tom Farrell. He's the bankable CEO. That's why it makes sense to me to reach for the 5.3% yield. Again, I keep stressing, it's not the bottom. It's the start. Last, you want to call the buy? Maybe you can get it exactly at 7.28%. I can't. Last six, I want a tech. A tech that's levered to, uh, levered to an unassailable trend, which is 5G. And one of the best 5G places is Qualcomm, which has a huge amount of intellectual property in every phone. After today's hammering, it still has a 3.8% yield. Uh, terrific growth prospects. I figured tomorrow it slices right through 45 So I'm giving you a little prep. 45 it's a buy. Before that, no. Look, I don't know when this breakdown comes to an end. As I said, and we'll say again, my, all the work that I've done says it's still got to go through the S&P level of, of uh, 2018. It's not there yet. We don't have a real stimulus plan in place, Washington. We need one. But the bottom line, I think it's time to start buying a basket of high yielders, accidental high yielders. And I'm suggesting UPS, Abvi, Verizon, Wells Fargo, Dominion. And then if Qualcomm goes down, Qualcomm. They're going to give you phenomenal payouts with good growth and solid balance sheets. I like them so much that if they go down more, you can just keep adding your position into weakness. It's been done. We did it. In 2008 and 9, we crushed it. These stocks actually do get cheaper as they go lower. And in this unforgiving market, that is all you can ask for. Chad, New Jersey, Chad. Hey, Jim, congrats on 15 years with the show. I want to talk to you about Cleveland Cliffs. They had $2 billion in sales last year, $300 million of profits, bought 8K steel for $3 billion. Lorenzo cleared the debt, bought 200,000 shares yesterday at 449. Current price, three seventy nine after hours. My question to you is, when do you see the shorts getting squeezed? I know these are volatile times. I don't necessarily think the shorts will get squeezed. I mean, obviously, uh, what I think you can say is that you are uh, betting that it is more than a lottery ticket, and the company is much better than it used to be, but it is levered to worldwide growth. Why don't we look at it like this? Instead of worrying about what the shorts can or can't do, if you like the company, stay with it. Uh, It's not where I'd like to be right now, but I like your conviction. But let's not worry about the shorts, okay? Let's worry about the longs. Can I go to Sadia in Virginia? Sadia. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Long time, first time. <laughs> Long time, first time. Well, it's Thanks good to hear from you. Call. I like new people. Let's go to work. Yes, love watching your show. My husband and I watch it every day. So with all this volatility and the recent pullback, what do you think about H&R Block? Well, you know, H&R Block is a competitor, and its name is Intuit. And Brad Smith's the chairman, uh, and he is unbelievable. And I think that when you have as powerful competitors Intuit, it's very difficult to buy H&R Block. All right, the Dow's down 28% from its record high. It's obvious that the market can still go lower. I'm using a target that's, that's still, you know, let's say 5 6 7% down from here when we take out the S&P level of 2018. 
but you know what? It's never too early to start looking at high-yielding stocks that weren't high-yielding when we got into this. I don't know when the self will end, but I think you can start creating a high-yielding portfolio of good growth that will last for the ages. Now you've got some names. Hey, by the way, you know, your kids can own this stuff, too. Oh, man, money tonight. The S&P and NASDAQ now joining the Dow in the bear market. We need a plan now more than ever. I'm going to sit down with someone who I know knows finance because I've known her for a very long time. It's Senator Elizabeth Warren who rolled out her own $750 billion stimulus package earlier today. And a lot of it is just plain old good common sense. Then, here lies the bull market. Don't miss my obituary. I've written scores of them of the 11-year bull market and a deep dive into what's stopping folks from buying. And with so much misinformation floating around regarding the coronavirus, I got an idea. Let's talk to the CEO of a company that's got answers. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. This is a national emergency. We need everyone to rally together to beat this virus and preserve the jobs, the health, the dignity of the American worker. Which brings me to Senator Elizabeth Warren, who rolled out her own $750 billion stimulus package earlier today, including subsidies to paid, have paid leave, unemployment insurance boosts, aid to state governments, lots for the health care system, Social Security benefit increases, student debt cancellation, and major investments, yes, indeed, in all the public health areas that we needed so badly. You may not agree with all this, okay? You may not agree. But big picture, she's right about the scale of the problem. So let's check in with Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. She's the ranking member of the Senate Subcommittee on Financial Institutions and Consumer Protection and, of course, a former presidential candidate. Senator Warren, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. It's good to be here. All right, Senator, uh, this, the scale of this is uh, pretty much beyond uh, actually the can of most people in America. You're offering some specific proposals. What I'd like to hear are what are the ones you think need to be done now in order to preserve the health, safety, and welfare of the American people? Well, you start this in the right place because the first thing we have to think about is the health of the American people. And that means right now. We need to guarantee that we're ramping up on the testing and making testing available for this virus and that it will be available free to everyone because we want people to get tested. We should also guarantee right now that as soon as a vaccine is developed, it will be available free to everyone because we want everyone to get vaccinated. And we should guarantee right now that there will be a pot of money available to cover everyone who has to miss work for a day or several days, either because they have the virus or because they are taking care of someone who has the virus. 
those are good for all of us in terms of our health and reduce the amount of contagion. They are also good for us economically. So that's where I start every part of this. Beyond that, it is time now to be thinking about a big stimulus package. Look, we've just seen what happened with the markets closing. We need to show that we have a government that understands the scale of this problem and understands that the approach to it is to get money, not just generally hose down the economy, but to get it down into the hands of the people who will put it down at the grassroots level and help support this economy from the ground up. So Senator, that's the basic approach. It does. I see, when you're, and you've added to your proposal, I can't agree with you more about the size. Something that really sticks out to me, low or no interest loans to companies of all sizes that have negatively been affected yep. by the coronavirus. So if I keep my workers on my payroll, I can get a no interest loan, even if I'm not getting any people, no customers in. I can keep paying them because of those loans. Exactly. And you've put it exactly right. This is not saying we're going to lend the money out, no strings attached. It's that you've got to keep the people on your payroll. That keeps money in the economy. And if you'll do that, we'll keep lending you the money to see us pass this crisis moment. That will help the economy in multiple ways. Keep these businesses open so that when people are venturing out again and we are putting money in from the other direction so people have got money in their hands, so people are still earning their paychecks. They'll have open stores to come to and goods to buy. This this keeps the circle going, and that's what we want to do in this There are another group of people who have been disenfranchised by the rising costs of uh, higher education. Uh, student loans mm-hmm. have been such a burden to people. I know it's sacrilegious to ever talk about it, but I think at this time it's time for sacrilege. Student loan debt cancellation. Tell us about it. Yep. So, look, here's the basic idea is I want to put this issue on the table. Think about how we get money into the hands of the people who need it most and who will spend it quickly because that's what you want. You want real velocity of this money. And we know that if we can relieve this burden for young people, 600 bucks a month, you're not having to spend over the next three months on your student loan debt. Think about what that means. Makes it much easier on the student and it's just like it's just like giving them cash. It means money that they can put back into the economy. Um, I, and it's a perfect place to put it. And notice the two places I want to balance this out are with students, which tends disproportionately to be young people, although there are people in their 40s, 50s and 60s and on who are still dealing with student loan debt. But but disproportionately young people. In addition, I think we should be increasing Social Security payments and disability payments. My proposal is increase at $200 a month, agree to do it at least for a year. That guarantees people more money coming in. And there's a great paper out by Christy Romer, I hope you take a look at it, that shows that money going into the hands of Social Security recipients is money that goes straight back into the economy, and that's what we want to see. I'm familiar with that, and you're absolutely right, and it's it's empirical. Now, Senator, how about something everyone in this country and every company at various times right now has to pay the government? This is a time where you have to take money that you have and give it to the government. What would you think about the government doing a gigantic, say, a $500 billion Treasury offering? Rates are very low. And make it so that we can take a break. Maybe it's a 60-day break where no one has to pay the government because it's running on that money. Too crazy? Too right? Given this national emergency, don't we want that? 
So here's my concern about that, Jim. I like the scale you think okay. in, but here's okay. my concern. It disproportionately goes to people with more money. True. And the problem is, we, we all know that in a crisis, when you're trying to boost the economy and stimulate the economy, putting more money into the pockets of people who already have a lot of money does not increase the number of pizzas they buy, does not keep them out buying more consumer goods. Putting that same amount of money into the hands of people who are living closer to the economic margins, like people who are dealing with student loan debt or people who are living on disability payments or Social Security, that's how that money makes it faster back into the economy. So if you, if you assume we're only going to spend a certain amount of money here, I'd much rather see us target it rather than an across the board that disproportionately advantages rich folks. You're absolutely right, Senator Warren. I guess, you know, I am trying to think as big as you are. I do believe that you have got commonsensical ideas. Now, I know you have not you have been critical of the administration, and I think uh-huh. that is absolutely uh, in the purview of everyone. But I, the, the, I have to say that the things that you're mentioning are something that any Republican or any Democrat should find as common sense. Do you think there can be common ground or are you just too far apart from the president? You know, I hope there can be. When we see today, just, just what we've seen today, the number of uh, increased number of deaths, number of people who've been diagnosed, concerns in communities all across this country where we're starting to close public schools, shut down events, museums are closed, sporting events are shutting down. The Boston Marathon may be postponed for several months. That as we're watching this, at the same time that the stock market is dropping, uh, as you will talk about a lot, and the economic impact is beginning to shake the foundations of the economy, I hope that means that in Washington, we can set aside the politics and actually come together for the health and the security of this country. I think your commonsensical view will allow that. I know that you still have not chosen who you will support for, for president. If it was this issue, which is an issue that is of, of uh, ultimate importance to this country, who do you think could handle it better? Now, look. Right now, I'm pushing the Trump administration to do a better job. That's the urgency of this moment. I like your answer. Um, and that's, that's what we need to do. So yeah. let's talk about what we could do tomorrow, because that's what we need to and do. And I so appreciate you coming on with common sense ideas to help the American worker who is the most exposed. And for also yeah. telling me that my, my proposal does advantage the rich too much, because you know what? We need to be told things like that. I needed it, too. Senator Warren, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you for having me. It's always good to see you. Excellent. Provocative, smart, big, big, thinking big. And so will the White House. Mad Money's back in. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter.
bull market died yesterday. He was 11 years old. He will be missed. The bull had a long history of health issues, scares, tussling with Fed rate hikes, erratic policy statements, overly exuberant froth, and often idiotic hedge fund managers came on TV and told us it was over. You know what? It was an actual illness that laid him low. And where the bull toppled, well, he landed on thousands of dip-buying flies who figured they could dart in and out without much worry. Not this time. The bull left no known survivors. Donations should be made to a fund he wanted to set up to fight the coronavirus, which ultimately laid him low after a remarkable run. You know, I was an obituary writer for many years. Oh, I hated it because it's just so sad to write a real one. I wrote scores of them. Still, I can't resist the irony here of all the things that were supposed to kill the bull, and the bull is indeed dead. The worries that so many hedge fund managers constantly whined about the Fed, erratic president, too low interest rates, too high consumer prices, too slow revenue growth, and so many other boilerplate villains, sure that none of them had any role in the bull's demise. Instead, it was an unforeseen virus that terrified investors into cashing out, ultimately crushing stock prices in their wake. I do think a lot of the selling was driven by a desire to get out ahead of other sellers. A lot was pure fear created by plummeting bond yields. People figured the bond market was screaming that the sky's falling. Bonds market much bigger than stock market. Which brings me to the heart of the matter. The stock market's breakdown or meltdown is so dramatic because Wall Street spent a month ignoring the virus. Hardly anyone took it seriously. Even at the time of the Super Bowl, I asked pretty much every rich person I spoke to, all the owners were down there, whether they were worried about the coronavirus, and nobody seemed to even know what it was, except for David Tepper, an old mentor of mine from Goldman Sachs, who now owns the Carolina Panthers, who called it a negative game changer and heavily influenced my bearishness, and of course, drove me to not go to the Super Bowl game and come back and run a tape that I thought would warn people. Now, everybody knows what it is, and now we're all assuming the worst. I point this out because if our government can contain this thing, and ultimately I think it will, then a year from now we may actually look back and say, you know what? Remember the sage advice from Warren Buffett? He was right again. He said buy. He was right to buy. Sure. Anyone who bought stocks that faded morning after Becky Quick interviewed the Oracle of Omaha just had their lungs ripped out. But let's go there. Let's imagine Buffett is right long term. He's been right before. Why isn't anybody taking advantage of this breakdown to do some buying? Of course, there were people on the other side of the trade, but you know exactly what I mean. First, we aren't buying because we have no idea what awaits us. And it physically awaits us. The fact that we've had so few deaths here in the United States actually makes it more menacing. It's some sort of ticking time bomb where one day we'll wake up and see an Italian or Wuhan-like explosion in infections and deaths here. That's how exponential growth works. And this thing is growing exponentially now. So we fear the big numbers that are coming because we know when we see them, some people will sell. People were hoping for the best but got the worst. They're trying to get out now ahead of others. Second, too many investors who own stocks these days don't believe stocks represent pieces of individual companies. They typically own them through the same index funds, which means they don't care about selling the stocks of high-quality companies. To the index investor, they don't see any companies. They see baskets. I'm sure that 95% of the people who own S&P 500 index funds couldn't name even 5% of the companies in that index because they've become hopelessly divorced from the fundamentals of individual companies in favor of these aggregations. They fear it. They don't understand it. 
In other words, most index investors are rank amateurs. And when the going gets tough, amateurs cut and run, and they never come back. I know this because in 2008, I told you to sell everything at Dow 12,000, and then at 11,000, then 10,000. Then I told you to get back in at Dow 7,000 at the advice of the late Mark Haynes. A lot of people did the former. They got out, but not the latter. They still blame me this day that I kept them out. Third, we are a deeply politicized country that has little faith in our government. Love Trump or hate him, he's not why stocks are going down. They're going down because we have to stop the virus, and there's no way to do that without causing a recession. The government obviously makes mistakes, but stocks are plummeting all over the world. So many otherwise well-informed people seem to think that Trump or Fed Chief Jay Powell are the main actors in this play. In truth, they're both sideshows. The star is some virus that spread easily all over the world because we're so interconnected. Globalism. Sure, some countries are handling it better. I mean, South Korea. But most of the world's not handling this well. That's the norm. Finally, most people are afraid to buy because they don't want to lose money. And they figure if it's in the bank, it won't go down. Smart to, a, let's say, a fault. See, investors are terrified of having losses that next day or the day after, and they don't want to take them, too. I mean, I remember thinking that the single dumbest day to buy stocks in my lifetime had to be the day before Black Monday in 1987. I mean, who could be that stupid, right? Yet just one year later, almost every single stock in the Dow was higher than the day's close. And how about the actual crash of 87? That day, which today will always now be compared to, well, it turned out to be the last great buying opportunity for years on end. That's right. The, the day before the biggest crash in history was actually a decent place to buy. And the day of the crash, and the day after that, by the way, when the market also got obliterated a second time, they were fabulous places to buy, glorious even. Now, I don't know how many people are going to die from COVID. I will do my best not to get it. Hopefully you will, too. Endless hand washing, still our best. By the way, hand washing is better than this stuff, okay? Somehow, though, we have to remember that after all the guide downs and forecast cuts that we're going to get, uh, and companies are going to give it to us one day, and we don't know when, and stocks can still and will go down. One day there will be a restart of commerce. There will be new activity. There will still be houses bought and dinners out and trips overseas and pro and college games to see. New businesses will be created. Losses will turn into bargains for others. The problem is the weight, the pain of the decline and the weight. The bottom line, though, if you think buying tomorrow is dumber than buying the Friday before the crash in 87, I say you're being too pessimistic. That turned out to be a decent place to buy long term. You just had to believe that the center would hold. And anarchy was not loosed upon the world. Jason, Alabama. Jason. Hey, Jim. How are you holding up, friend? I'm holding up fine. I, you know, I just want my family to hold up. It's like everybody else. How about you? I'm doing okay. I talked to you back on uh, March 26, 2019, about why you own Citigroup for the charitable trust. Right. After after deducing it illogical to sell the stock due to its tangible book value, I decided to hold on to it. My question to you is, with all the banks in the house of pain, how close to the floor do you think we currently are? And should a medium uh, income investor like me purchase it as it goes up and down? It's a great question. Or see what happens with now, COVID-19? Now, remember, we sold a huge part of our city stake when it went all the way up. That was luck. I'm not trying to 
The worst thing is the guy who comes on and says, hey, listen, I sold and I did great. And I'm not giving you that nonsense. I will tell you this. It yields 4.7. Could it yield 5.5 or 6? Yes, sure. Are they in trouble? Well, you don't know. It's a bank. But to me, you know, we'll look back and I think we'll do fine. It's just, except for what will happen is I'll say buy to 43, which I didn't. I say we'll look back. It'll go to 39. I'll be pilloried. I'll say, well, why did I bother? Well, the reason why I bother is I want people to actually ultimately make some money. And I'm not afraid. I think that city's okay. John in New Jersey, John. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My question is on HBI. Periods of soft sales were curbed with some store closures, but the fundamentals don't seem to justify the chart over the last five years with the stock taking a thumping. The CEO has recently announced he'll be retiring this fiscal year. These factors, along with everyone hopefully not going commando, indicate a buy. I appreciate your thoughts. Be well, sir. That was the funniest thing I heard all day. I don't know if you guys know what commando is, but you can probably Google it. Um, well, Keynes Brands in the end makes clothes, and uh, it's a bad business. They may be really good at it, and they are. But in the end, I'd rather own a drug company that has a patent protection and charges everybody a fortune and we have to pay for it than I would charge for underwear, which, as you indicated, doesn't to some even have to be worn. All right, commanders, buying before the buying for the biggest crash in history actually turned to be a decent place to buy in the long term. Think about that. Think about that as you sell tomorrow, okay? Maybe you're actually getting a chance to buy instead of sell, but it may not work immediately. Much more man money in. People have plenty of questions right now. How is Yext helping to mitigate some of the coronavirus misinformation? I've got the CEO. Then I got a message from Washington. Don't make the same mistakes that caused the financial crisis. I'll tell you my thinking. On all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. If you give up, if you go home, there may not be a better opportunity. I don't know. It can go lower. But boy, you see some of those prices. Stable Craver. Stocks plunge today. Dow having its worst day since 1987. Now, there are a lot of things we can't control about this darn pandemic, but some things are within our power, like stopping the spread of misinformation. Take Yext, Y-E-X-T. This is a cloud-based platform that helps companies ensure all the information about them on the web is accurate and up-to-date because incorrect information leads to lost business. Normally, Yext handles facts like hours of operation, return policies, nutritional information, but they can also handle things like the coronavirus uh, which induces store closures and how about the special policies for dealing with the pandemic? We need to know these. Now, Yex just posted a strong quarter last week. Yeah, the stock's been hammered, but along with the rest of the market, come on. It was at $15 just after reported, now it's at 12 I think it could potentially perform well here. But right now, I'm more focused on how Yex can help us cope with COVID-19. Something somebody, everyone's scared about. Earlier today, the company announced that they're making their new Yext Answers product available to any business that wants it for free for the next 90 days. They even set up a special website, NoWrongAnswers.com. Did you like that? To help businesses get the system up and running. we got to find out about this. Let's take a closer look with Howard Lerman. He's the founder and CEO of Yext to get a better read on how his company's doing and how it can help us with the corona crisis. Mr. Lerman, welcome back to Mad Money. Great Good to see you. Here. All right. Let me ask you up front. There are so there's so much misinformation about this. There's so many people are worried. How can Yext help and why should we want Yext to help us? Well, 
About 10 days ago, we started to see a massive spike in the number of searches happening for coronavirus, for uh, COVID-19. Businesses have been scrambling to create their policies in all verticals, in healthcare, right. in food, in CPG. People have questions, and businesses need to be able to provide the answer. And it just so happens that we have a product that be, can be kind of useful right now, okay. which is why we are announcing that Yext Answers is free for the next 90 days. Now, with Yext Answers, businesses can answer questions on their own website. Okay, so uh, I'm a healthcare company. I'm a, uh, a ready clinic. I'm some, somebody who's interested in letting people know what we can and what we can't do. Uh, what's on my site that's linked to Yext? What does Yext do to help me? Well, remember if you picture a website, take IHACares.com. If you go to their site, you'll see a box up there. It looks like a search box. Right. People can visit that site and then search, and they can type in any question that they want and get an answer. And now with Yext, we're making it possible for a company to answer a question on their own website just like Google can. And we've made our services available for free at NoWrongAnswers.com so companies can put all the right answers, not just healthcare, but in all verticals. Think about in travel. They're thinking about their return policies. In, right, uh, right. in all industries like food or CPG, they're thinking, people are asking questions about whether it's safe to eat certain food or questions about the supply chain. So as consumers ask these questions, companies need to be there with answers to help protect the safety of the public and to make sure people do the right thing. One of the questions I saw, Jim, was, is the flu shot effective against the coronavirus? Right. right. Now, if everyone and their cousin started showing up to the hospital right now to get a flu shot, we might end up in a situation like we see in Milan. We've got to avoid that. Every time we can get the right answer out there, the truth online, we're going to help relieve the burden on the system. Okay, but uh, I think that one of the most puzzling things, and and I think that something that's created a tremendous amount of distrust and lack of confidence, is this test kit. How can I uh, let people know that I don't have a test kit, so stop coming here? Well, that's a great point. And with Yext Answers, a health system would be able to simply add that to their knowledge graph so that if a user goes to their website, they could say, Do I, is there a test kit here? And they'd get a right answer. It's all real time. We recommend companies put the box up so that they can see what people are asking, because today it might be about test kits. Tomorrow it could be about something completely different. We've got to be there able to react in real time with the right information. All right, so I have a restaurant and a bar. Uh, both are open. Uh, I, I want people to know they're going to stay open. Uh, does How will Yex uh, field that like a Google search and let people know? What we would do is give you a search box for your site. So when people start to ask questions, are you open, you can say, yeah, we're remaining open. But also people might have questions about where your food comes from or are right. you going to deliver stuff or do you have Purell there or is your delivery right. guy going to Right. So you can add a box to your site, a search bar, and get what people are asking so that you can give the right answer. I'm, I know this is going to sound uh, soporific, but we serve Corona. And I, honest to God, there are probably people who believe, are you still serving Corona? Because it's such a, you know, it just happens to be happenstance. But those are the kinds of things that bars have to worry about. Well, you know, think about the vodka companies. People right now are asking the vodka companies, is it safe to use your vodka to kill 
the coronavirus and it doesn't work. If I'm a vodka company, I want to have a search bar on my website so that I can quickly react as the world begins to ask this question and put the truth out there. Uh, candidly, I thought about that myself. I thought it did because I couldn't find any alcohol this weekend. My wife disabused me that notion. I like Yex to disabuse me that notion. A little less tension at home. That's Howard Lerman. He's the CEO of Yex. <laughs> this is a terrific public service, and I thank you so much for doing it. And I'm the city, well, the country, because, boy, this thing is out of control. And money's back into the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Come for the lightning round. Let's go with Jack in New York, Jack. Booyah, Kramer. What are your thoughts on Twilio? Is it- all right, we had to cut and run after uh, some some profit and some loss for the uh, Channel Trust because we didn't like what happened with the last quarter. Uh, so I'm going to have to say, uh, wait, it can go lower. Let's go to Jim uh, in Connecticut. Jim. Jim, how are you doing today? I am good. How about you? Well, so far, so good. Hey, i got a uh, biopharma stock for you. Um, Chemocentrics. Okay, I mean, it's a busy time, and I don't know chemocentrics. Better just to own that. I need to go to Adam in Alabama. Adam. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Fine, thank you. I was wondering if you could give a little insight on uh, Cardolytic. Yeah, they just crushed that. They just crushed that. Uh, You know, to me, it's just a a very good uh, fintech stock, and they don't like fintechs anymore. So uh, there are so many blue chip stocks that yield yield a lot that are good. We're going to pass on that. Let's go to Heather in Florida. Heather. I was wondering about trade desk. Okay, this is a high-growth stock that will bounce back right now. People are worried about advertising. It's exactly what I'm thinking about doing. But please, buy it in quarter-point increments, one point down 25 each quarter. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Now that we have a brand new crisis, we don't want to repeal the mistakes of 2008. Chief among these errors, policymakers refused to take action. Instead, they kept telling us they lacked the authority to make common sense moves that could have seriously blunted the impact of the crisis, resulting in stronger financial institutions, a shallow recession, and far fewer job losses. They hid behind the law. They sought bogus approvals. They were in the end weak, bewildered, and scared even, and anxious to avoid making decisions for fear of non-existent penalties and enforcement actions. Some just create just they couldn't take it this time around. We have a similar set of common sense moves that could tie the system over while we deal with a serious public health crisis. And we know this crisis can be controlled because they've controlled it in other countries like South Korea. If we started testing people for coronavirus en masse, I know we still don't have enough test kits, and we put the financial worries to rest, creating confidence. I think we can beat this and not have you lose all of your money at the same time. But sadly, the only way to beat COVID-19, I believe, is to risk a recession. And I think after this week, may may already be in one. We need to slow the spread of this virus. And that means rules against gathering, rules that make people stay home, rules that are very bad for business. That's why we need a massive federal intervention to keep businesses afloat or see our nation unravel financially right in front of us while we conquer COVID-19. If we're not careful, what can we do? First, concrete. 
Forget a payroll tax cut. How about a wholesale postponement of federal taxation until the outbreak is over? You can make up your back taxes after the virus is beaten. Given that interest rates are incredibly low right now, it would be easy for the Treasury Department to borrow half a trillion dollars to keep the government funded in the interim. I am mindful of what Senator Warren said. We must at least do this, though, for those in the middle class. They'll spend it, which we want. The rich do not need this break. They'll save it. She's right. But the government can go without our money or anybody's money and our company's money for a while if they do that bond offering. Second, the government needs to create a gigantic fund to provide interest-free loans to small businesses if they agree to keep on their employees and give them paid sick leave through this downturn. We need people who are sick to stay home, and that's the best way to stop the spread of this disease. Third, large companies are furiously taking down the revolving credit facilities all at once. While the banks here are well capitalized, better than ever, they still can't handle that kind of pressure. We need government backstops to those loans, even guarantees, so that this coronavirus-induced recession doesn't spark a financial crisis. Oh, I know they're going to say Dodd-Frank and this, and that's classic. They're just going to don't belittle this. I'm right. Fourth, the sudden decline in oil prices is a disaster for the oil industry. Many producers are now flirting with bankruptcy. We love lower oil prices as consumers, you and I both. But America is now the largest oil producer on Earth, and this industry does employ a lot of people. So I think the government should use this opportunity to buy cheap oil for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That way we maybe put a floor in it. Worst case, we end up with too much crude that we can sell at higher levels when the economy recovers. The president should go with that, even as I know he wants prices at the pump low. He wants a bargain for the government. Fifth, the Federal Reserve needs to buy mortgage-backed bonds, not treasuries, mortgage-backed. Despite the incredible decline in long-term treasury yields, the rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage hasn't budged. In fact, actually, it actually went up a little this week. You know, I got a lower mortgage several years ago when the 30-year treasury yields were much higher. If the Fed buys mortgage bonds, well, then we can get those rates lower, and that will boost the now-flagging housing market. Six, waive student loan debt for the next three months. Suspend payments. That will immediately put money into the system that isn't there. Of course, I can already hear the naysayers. This one's blocked by Dodd-Frank. This one creates moral hazard. This one might be illegal. This one needs both houses of Congress. Oh, give me a break. These are not normal times. If we don't do something like this six-part plan, we're going to have a serious financial emergency on top of the public health emergency. So what So what if we need Congress on board? Get them on board. This is a crisis for heaven's sake. So many of these potential problems are easily mitigated if the government will only take action. Please, I'm begging everyone in Washington, come together. Don't make the same mistakes that caused the last financial crisis. We know what they are. We can stop this. Just do it. Stick with Kramer. tracks. We want creative, big think ideas from our leaders in an on-rancorous fashion. And second, we want to find opportunities that are going to give us good yield that only will come through okay. We're not going to be able to catch the bottom. You know I still think we can go lower, but we have to look for opportunities that worked in 2008 or work again. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Special markets and turmoil starts right now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.